0: We have three squares. Think of them like three by five postcards or photographs. Three by five, is that what it was? Five by eight, three by five? We get three of those. They're all blue. Two of them are the same shade of blue. Now we're gonna call them square one. (laughs) Three by five isn't a square. Square one, square two, and square three. You give someone square one. Take a look at this. And then you give them squares two and three, and you say, which one of those is the same shade of blue as square one? Square two or square three? They're all blue. They're just different shades of blue. You do that experiment with an English speaker. You do that experiment with a Russian speaker. They select the correct match at the same rate. Whether they speak English or they speak Russian. That's the first part of the experiment. Kinda nothing to see here. Here's part two. This is where it gets interesting. Russian has two different colors for blue. They have two blue words. The way they're talked about, it sounds like they're basically two different colors. It'd be like if we considered green and yellow one color, and those guys over there had two words, green and yellow, we just had, oh, God, grello. Oh, wait a second. There's this blello. That's right from Malcolm in the Middle. It would be as if we had blello, and those guys over there had blue and yellow. So we have blue. the Russians have blue one and blue two, two separate color categories. Blue one and blue two over there in Russian. It's all just one big color to us, blue. Now, of course, there's different shades. We can perceive different shades of blue. It's just that they all belong to this one category, blue. Over there in Russian, there's blue one, and there's different shades of blue one, and then there's blue two, and there's different shades of blue two. So, in part two of the experiment, that's actually been done, by the way. I'm not just making this up. In part one of the experiment, we only used Blue 1 for both the English speakers and the Russian speakers. For the Americans, it didn't really matter. We could have used Blue 1 and Blue 2. It would all be one big category for us, but we just used Blue 1 for the English speakers and the Russian speakers. So, that way, everyone was operating within this one category. In part two of the experiment, what we do is we start using blue one and blue two. So let's say square one is a shade of blue one. Square two might be that same shade of blue one and then square three will be a shade of blue two. Now for the American, for the English speaker, it's all just different shades of blue. But for the Russian, Square one and square two are the same shade of the same color. And then square three is a shade of a different color. It's like if you gave me three squares, one is a shade of blue, the second is a shade of blue, and then the third is a shade of green. And then you said, hey, can you pick out which two are the same? And I'd say, yeah, that's kind of easy. Square one and square two are are the same color, and they're the same shade of the same color this third one over here, I can just rule out because it's not even the same color as the other two. Never mind the shades. Well, that's what happens with the Russian speakers when you start mixing up blue one and blue two in the experiment. Now, if you give the English speaker, square one is a shade of blue one. Square two is an identical shade of blue one. It's the same as square one. Square three is a shade of blue too. Now we still pick the right match at the same rate as we did in part one of the experiment. It's all just different shades of blue for us. And there's no difference in the rate at which we select the right image between parts one and two of the experiment. But for the Russians, all of a sudden it's easier for them. So in part two of the experiment, the Russians are picking the correct answer more often because for them, we're basically throwing in a square that's a different color altogether. They don't have to fuss too much about, well, is it the right shade? It's just, no, that's green or something. That's not blue one at all. So I don't have to sit here and really you know, be vexed over, is it the right shade of blue one? No, it's not, it's blue two. And since squares one and two are both shades of blue one, well, I can readily pick out that they must be the match. I don't have to vex, is it quite the right shade? I know that those are the match because I can rule out square three because it's blue two, it's the wrong color. Again, for the English speaker, it's not any different. It's all just shades of blue. So that brings us up through part two of the experiment. Now here's where I have a little story. I'm going to explain what my thinking was, and then part three changes my thinking. Everything I've described so far is interpreted as supporting the claim that language shapes perception, which is, I think, called the Worfian hypothesis in linguistics, W-H-O-R-F. The interpretation basically says, look, we have English speakers who can't discern between these different shades, and we have Russian speakers who can. And why is that? Well, they have these different categories. They have these different colors, blue one and blue two. And that allows them to more quickly, at least, it's not that an English speaker couldn't learn it. It's just that because their language has these two words for blue, blue one and blue two, they can more readily discern between shades of blue that happen to fall into one category or the other. Now notice they can't more quickly discern between shades of blue one than we can, but they more quickly see the difference between a shade of blue one and a shade of blue two. Whereas for us, They're just shades of blue, and we don't discern between them more quickly than if they are within Russia's Blue 1 or Russia's Blue 2. Does that make sense? I feel like this is so complicated. I thought that interpretation was wrong. Obviously, totally without qualification for rendering a verdict on anybody's interpretation of these studies, which I had never read. I read a little bit of one today which I'll explain in a minute. But um, I thought that was all wrong. And here's my argument. I sent this to John McWhorter. He politely told me to read his book. <laughs> and as of this morning, I think I... I don't think I agree with what I'm about to say anymore. But it's interesting as to why. Listen to this. This is great. My argument was, first off, you can't posit that The existence of a word in a language has a causative effect on someone's perception. Exhibit A, fuchsia. I don't know what fuchsia is. Is it red or purple or something? I don't know what the fuck fuchsia is. The existence of that word, and if we want that color category, in English doesn't do me any good. So the mere existence of these words in someone's language doesn't do them any good. Now, I know that seems like a cheap shot. You're going to say, well, of course you need to have learned the word. I effectively don't know that part of the language, so it's not fair to say that part of the language doesn't affect my perception when the truth is I haven't learned it. But stick with me here. By saying that, you're conceding that I need to have been taught, I need to have undergone the perceptual learning that would make that word meaningful to me. And so my argument was, these words, they're like spandrels. You know what a spandrel is? It's some little architectural thing that it's like a doily or something. I mean, it's like effectively something like that. I'm forgetting his name, but 70s and 80s evolutionary biologist guy, kind of a popular science writer, Stephen Jay Gould. He had this concept of the spandrel, if I get it right, it's something like, it's 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 basically a distraction. It's something that appeared in evolutionary history, but it's just a sort of accidental and non-consequential byproduct of something else that was going on. Well, I thought the words were basically spandrels. Once you say that, well, you didn't learn fuchsia, so therefore that doesn't count. Once you say that, well, you are implicitly acknowledging that what we're talking about is people learning these categories. It's more parsimonious, therefore, to say that what is causing people be able to perceive different shades of a color is the teaching of the ability to perceive those different shades of a color. (laughs) What does the language have to do with it? As of like, Last night, early this morning, I figured we're just being distracted by the fact that there are words appended to these categories because linguists are the people who did these studies. (laughs) They are drawing our attention to the wrong thing. It is cool that different cultures can learn to more quickly and readily perceive different shades of colors. They can place the boundaries between colors in different places. That's cool. And that is a kind of revelation. So my feeling was that's what we should be focusing on. These studies are showing us something really cool about human perception. The words are doilies. <laughs> you know, how are you focused on this, you silly linguists? You're missing the point. My feeling was the language is not having a causative effect. It wasn't even having a causative effect in the sense that, well, they have these Extra words hanging around, so they're more likely to teach people these different shades. Because I never learned fuchsia. Remember violet? Remember the crayon colors? I loved crayons. I love the smell of crayons. I would love to color again. I can't wait till I'm more feeble and it seems okay for me to pick up coloring again. Everyone will feel like, oh, Mr. Ford is gonna color at lunch today. Little soup on your chin, Mr. Ford. I thought it was more parsimonious to posit that the learning or the teaching of these different categories is what causes the different perceptive abilities. That seemed obvious to me. And moreover, I really, I thought this. I literally, this claim was in my head in one form or another. I thought it's not possible to actually isolate the effects of the language. I could conceive of no way of doing it other than testing someone who hasn't learned the meaning of the word whether the existence of that word in their language has any effect. And I I get that that's silly, but that was as close as I could come to thinking of how would you test the effect of the language on the perceptive abilities? You have to use the words to do the experiment, and even if you didn't, we know that the words were used in the teaching of the categories, At any rate, that's where I was. Part three of the experiment is brilliant. It's interesting. When people say that something's brilliant, I think they're saying, I couldn't have thought of that before. (laughs) I think that's what that translates to. What's funny about that to me is it uses my cognitive ceiling as a measure of brilliance. They gave the Russian speakers a linguistic task. Memorize this list of numbers and try to hold it in your memory while you select matching photos in the experiment. So we we basically do part two of the experiment where we're mixing the categories blue one and blue two. What we have done, this is so brilliant, we have rendered the language part of the brain sort of incapacitated. It's kind of like got its back to us. It's over there looking out the window when we need it. And so it's not available for us to use it. Absolutely brilliant. And you know what happens? Now their perceptive abilities haven't changed. They can still see the other parts of their brain are still are still there to be used to discern. Their ability to select the matching photo, the matching shade, went right back to as if they didn't have the category. It was basically part one of the experiment. It was basically, now they were just an English speaker with one category. What this is suggesting is that it really is the parts of the brain that process language where... These perceptive categories are stored, and so in order to use them, these, these tools of these that we call color categories, you have to use that part of the brain, and it's the part of the brain involved with language. So if the language part of the brain isn't operating, then you are brought down to some other level. In other words, the language was really affecting perception. Language apparently really does affect perception.